In the name of the Father, and the Son, and God's Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Any parent who has raised more than one kid in their home at the same time, uh, and any child who has grown up with a brother or a sister, knows that fairness is an integral part of any household. I have a, a, a friend uh, who had a younger brother, Tom, five years younger than her, and she remembers vividly some of the unfairness that went on in their household. Uh, for example, uh, when she was in elementary school, she had a very early bedtime. When Tom uh, was the same age, he was going to bed uh, at the same time she was in elementary school. When she got her first bicycle, um, she had to do some chores around the house to earn money to pay towards that. Tom just got his. Um, she remembers that she wasn't allowed to date until early in high school. Tom never had rules like that. No matter how much uh, she reminded Tom of how eternally indebted he was to be to her for having paved the way for him, he doesn't remember it that way. And he has a long list of reasons to prove that. All of us have this deep-seated sense of fairness. What is fair is fair, and what is right is right. And I suppose it is just human nature uh, to sometimes feel envious or resentful towards those who get what we don't think they deserve. So in our parable this morning, the workers hired early in the morning resented those who had been hired late in the afternoon, exhausted from bending and stooping for so many hours, thirsty and drained from having to work at the hottest time of the day. Um, it just didn't seem fair when those who had worked so little, less than an hour, and only in the coolest part of the day, why would they uh, get the same pay uh, for working in the vineyard? Now, you probably know that it, in the Bible, the vineyard is often symbolic of God's people. Um, in the Hebrew scriptures, that would be the Israelites. In the New Testament, that would be the church. And I suspect that many of us who work in the vineyard today can probably identify with those early workers, both in terms of hours worked <laughs> and sometimes the resentment that we feel. Why do 20% of the people do 80% of the work and give 80% of the money? Have you never noticed that at, at the end of the fundraiser or the picnic, it's always the same people who are putting the tables away? And incidentally, thank God that we got those plastic white tables because they added five years at least to my ministry. Or maybe you count yourself among those who was always a dedicated church person. Every Sunday, same time, same pew. Several times during the week back for a committee meeting or a rehearsal of some kind. You may not be quite as active now, but you certainly put in your time. And so you wonder, why is so much time devoted today to the visitor who just shows up once? Or to the new member 
who hasn't done anything yet. Or even worse, to the inactive person um, who doesn't show any initiative at all. Why does the church want to spend so much time and energy on them? Or outside of these walls, um, you may be a person who has always worked long and hard since you were a teenager. And you wonder why some are willing to receive a welfare check. Or you might resent the fact that some hardworking young person who you know was turned down for a scholarship simply because there are quotas established for how many minorities should get scholarships. Like the workers who came to the vineyard early, we all have this deep sense of fairness, a sense of fairness that is rooted in the idea that you should have to work for what you get. You remember Aesop's fable about the ant and the grasshopper? The ant had worked diligently all summer long to store away for the winter. One cold, frosty day, the grasshopper, who had not been so diligent in his summer's preparation, came to the ant and with great humility begged for a morsel of corn. What were you doing this summer? The ant asked. I passed it away merrily and pleasantly, drinking and singing. If that is the case, replied the ant, laughing and shaking his granary, all I have to say is that if you can sing all summer, you can dance all winter. Winter finds what summer laid by. You only get what you're willing to put in. And that strong work ethic is a part of every one of us. And it has more than its share of merit. Uh, first of all, it teaches us to work hard. And it also helps us to feel good about ourselves when we have worked hard. It keeps us to from uh, using another cliche, it keeps us from thinking that life should be handed to us on a silver platter. On the other hand, the ant's ethic does take its toll on us. Um, for one thing, it sometimes makes it difficult for we early workers to the vineyard to value our relaxation time as much as we do our work hours. We do have a tendency to value our worth on the basis of how much we have accomplished. How many things on my list, even in retirement, did I check off today? And it can make it difficult for us to accept God's grace when it is shown to the latecomer, to those who are less diligent, and we would say, in our honest moments, less deserving than we. We stand in awe of God's grace in this world unless someone else is its undeserving recipient. And then, in all of our humanness, we grow resentful and sometimes envious. God's freely offered grace often stands in stark contrast to our sense of fairness. God's generosity transcends our tit-for-tat thinking and perhaps even 
our most profound sense of justice. The symbol of justice in our society, of course, is what? It's a, women, a woman standing blindfolded, holding the scales in both hands equally. But the divine symbol of justice, the biblical version of that, is not that. For in the divine image, the biblical image, the balance is always tipped to one side. It is always tipped to the side of those who are most in need. That would be the poor, the sick, those who are being left behind, those who are being left out. And perhaps nowhere is it more true. My thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are not your ways. And so it is. Because the same landowner who pays his workers equally for an unequal amount of labor is that same loving father who you remember welcomes his prodigal son home, the son who really did squander his half of the inheritance. And who, despite the protest of the elder, hard-working son, kills the fatted calf and welcomes the prodigal home, not as a servant, but as a child. And that same loving father is also the shepherd who, as night falls, leaves the other 99 sheep, all of whom have done exactly what they were supposed to do, and goes off in search of the one who probably because of his own stupidity or undisciplined curiosity has wandered away. Over and over again in the Bible and in our own experience, our sense of fair play is violated by a God whose wisdom and love transcend our categories. It's almost as though God, from God's vantage point, can see in a broader way than we, in our obstructed view seats, can. For example, from God's point of view, God may be able to see that Many of those late hired workers, like many who are unemployed today, may really have wanted to work as much as anyone. They needed a full day's paycheck in order to take care of their families. Not long ago, I read Ira Katznelson's uh, thought-provoking book, When Affirmative Action Was White. And I couldn't get this confounding parable about fairness out of my head. It's worth reading because he helps us to see how difficult it is to recognize grace when we are part of the chosen group. It's fascinating. He says, from a practical point of view, probably the largest affirmative action program in the history of our nation was the GI Bill, which of course benefited thousands upon thousands of soldiers, helped many families right here in Birmingham, in, Ber in Berkeley, to build uh, the houses that they live in. Now, not that it was designed as such, but you may remember that in order to pass that legislation, there had to be a deal that it would be implemented by local authorities. And what that meant in the South 
is that the same benefits that provided housing and education for so many people that we know were denied to the minorities who had also served, which is part of what contributed to generational wealth and the gap that still exists to this very day. That's what we call systemic racism. It's about fairness. Or I think of this parable sometimes when I hear someone complaining that their child or grandchild didn't get into their first choice of schools because a minority person, um, maybe with a slightly less high uh, resume, um, got in. And they think that was blatantly unfair. And I understand those feelings. But then I wonder where their voice was for the previous 12 years when that minority student was going to a dramatically inferior school. Does fairness only begin at grade 13? Moreover, from God's vantage point, perhaps God can see better than we that being among the first hired and the most hardworking has its own rewards. That in the work world, we who work are spared the uncertainty of unemployment or the loss of pride at being rejected or the fear of not being able to feed our families or give them the Christmas presents that we would want to give. Here within the church, how do you measure the reward that comes from knowing that you do belong, that people actually need you, that they count on you, that you are part of the us and not the they. How do we get hold of the fact that being invited to and working in the vineyard is in itself a gift to be shared rather than a work that we expect to be rewarded for? Those who worked in the vineyard then, we who labor now, are constantly amazed by working for a landowner who has a reputation, a reputation of paying people not by the hour, but by the person, who judges people not according to their merit or lack thereof, but according to their need. In fact, it may be, it may be, it may well be that I can only come home uh, to God's amazing grace for the undeserving when I begin to own that I am the undeserving. I am the one who Jesus had to give his life for. I am the elder brother who somehow tricked everyone into thinking that the story was about the prodigal when in fact it was written about the elder son, the one who is as far away from his father as was his younger brother. It just isn't fair. And thank God it isn't, because if fairness were the criteria in our relationship with God, how would any of us fare? Of course, this story from Jesus, like all of Jesus' parables, includes not only a lesson to be learned, but an invitation to participate an invitation that is contained in one final parable that I will leave you with this morning. It's the story of two brothers who lived very joyful 
and contented lives until one day they received a call from God to discipleship. The older brother, brother responded to that call very generously, though in the end it meant having to leave home, leave the family and the woman who he loved and had thought about marrying uh, forever. He eventually went off to a distant land and worked there among the poorest of the poor. Persecution arose in that country. He was arrested, falsely charged, sentenced, and put to death. When he got to heaven, the Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have given me a thousand talents worth of service. I now want to give you a billion, billion talents of reward. Enter into the joy of your Lord. The younger brother's response was less generous. He decided to ignore it, really. I mean, he went ahead and married the girl that he loved. He enjoyed a happy married life. His business prospered. Eventually, he became rich and famous. Occasionally, he would give alms to a beggar, or he would do some kind of kindness, usually for his wife and his own children. Occasionally, he would send a small sum of money off to his older brother with a note. This might be helpful in your work with those poor buggers over there. When it came his turn to die, the Lord said to him, well done. You have given me 10 talents of service. I want to give you a billion, billion talents of reward. Enter into the joy. The older brother was surprised when he heard that his younger brother had been given the same reward as he. And he was pleased. He said, Lord, knowing this as I do now, if I were to be born and live again, I would do exactly what I did for you. Here's the good news. A generous Lord and a disciple who served him for the sheer joy that love gives to service. The older brother was surprised and he was pleased. Wow. That just isn't fair. Thank God. <laughs>